I'm really excited to announce our very first sponsor of Exponentially Empowered, which is the Drom dating app. I know the founder of this product personally. He is all about growth mindset and our message on this show to build a beautiful new world. And this app can contribute to that because most dating apps suck. They're basically fast food face swiping apps. It's not based on the inner world. It's not based on core values. And Drom changes all that where you can create deal breakers such as growth mindset or political philosophy or religion or how to raise children, any core values. You can match with someone anywhere in the world, not just in your geographic location, anywhere in the world in order to connect with someone with your core values. So what if you could say, only show me people with a growth mindset who want kids and want to unschool them. That sounds phenomenal. And the other thing is, it's only video-based. There's no pictures. There's no texts. It's only video profiles and video chats. So this is more human and reduces disappointment when you do meet in real life. Drom lets you design your perfect match. There are no experts in match percentages. You pick exactly what you want and you only get those matches. If you don't find a deal breaker or a deal maker that's important to you, you can add your own and everybody sees it once it's approved. Drom is totally free. It's on Apple and Android phones and tablets. If you want to install the app, go to drom.date slash empowered. Click the Apple or Android button. Use the invite code empowered to sign up. That's D-R-O-M dot D-A-T-E slash empowered. Use the invite code empowered. Get signed up, design, and create your perfect match. I'm grateful to be joined by Ari Dokes, who is a very curious and growth-minded human. We met at a retreat back in the spring. This is the Mind Fix program that I talk I talked about in a couple episodes back in season three. And this Mind Fix program is all about diving into your self-limiting beliefs and clearing those out. So Ari and I met at this retreat and bonded over that shared value of, of growth mindset. And Ari's also very adventurous and fun human. And she is all about belief work in particular in the realm of money. And she has a business called Badass Budget Babe. So that's all you need to know right there, right? Her business that she found is called Badass Budget Babe. Uh, But she's helping people uh, work through their beliefs about money. So we're going to dive into that, which is a really interesting topic we haven't talked about in the show before. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to hear Ari's story and all that good stuff as well. So welcome to the show, Ari. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So what's your story? What's, uh, tell me about how you grew up and your experience with your family in K through 12 schooling, like what kind of kid were you? And then I want to kind of follow your story from there, but tell me about what you were like growing up. Okay. So growing up, I was simultaneously like very shy. Um, but I also wanted to be the center of attention at all times. <laughs> like 
bring out a camera, bring out a stage. Like I'm your girl. You want me to just go talk to people? I'm going to just actually sit here and read books instead of like play with the kids in the neighborhood. Um, so let's see, I have two parents, my parents, they actually just celebrated their 38th wedding anniversary. I want to say it was, um, on the other day, which is great. Um, and then I've got two sisters. I've got an older sister and a younger sister and they're pretty cool. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of like, where do you, where does one where, start? But what was your relationship with sort of rules and following directions and being a good kid versus a bad kid in that paradigm? Oh, shit. Okay. So I really was definitely a rule follower. I still am like lying or makes my voice go up like eight octaves. And like, I just can't lie very well. I like, don't like getting in trouble. I don't like breaking. Like I don't drive in the carpool lane when there is nobody else in my car, even if I could get away with it and there's a lot of traffic, like I'll sit in traffic. Um, and I think honestly, so my older sister was like the bad kid. She had all the potential in the world, but she just was like ran around and did her own thing. And so this desire to like, not be like her was like, Oh, I'll do anything to like be the perfect child and not do what she's doing because it was like always turmoil around that. And so, yes, I like loved rules, um, loved school. Like I, I always did my schoolwork early. Like I was like the smart kid in the class and teacher's pet hundred <laughs> percent. Like they like the people pleasing tendencies. Yeah. Oh man, they were high. They were high with this one. Um, and yeah, like it was, that was that was my thing. Like I was gonna be perfect all the well, time. Let's, let's let's just dig into that. Like, <laughs> why do you think you had that part of you come up to create this people pleaser? Um, how how would you contrast your experience in the home versus school? And what would you say motivated you to want to be approved by approved of by the teacher? Oh man. Uh, it was easy to be approved of by the teacher. So let's just start with that. Like I am and I always was like a naturally curious, smart individual, right? Like I want, I love learning. So I mean, just, hey, that's how we're here. Um, you know, always loved learning. And so it became so easy to be like, well, liked. It, it was, it was so easy. And like, you get all this love and praise and like, you're just the, here's a gold star, right? Like, so in the classroom, like it's very, very easy. Um, it, it was really easy for me to do that. And um, in the home, I was also like the emotional child, like being told I'm overly sensitive and you're just like, you're too sensitive all the time. So to continue to be like perfect, it was like, okay, well, like I can like, you know, like in the home, it's a little bit harder for me to be perfect because I have all these emotions that I don't know where they're coming from or what to do with them. Um, and so it's really easy. Like I can be smart. I can be well-behaved. I can um, do, I can do things right. I can do everything right. And let me just like stay in that corner. And that's like, that's, man, I feel like we're like getting into stuff already. That's what we do <laughs> in this show. <laughs> I like it. It's like the first question. Yes. Like I only recently thought about this whole people pleasing thing. So yeah. Yeah, well, I can imagine that 
I mean, first of all, I have the same with being told I'm too sensitive in the home growing up. And I, I, I was similarly had that people pleasing part develop and wanted to be the good kid at school. Maybe not to the full extent of like just loving the getting the gold star, but there's something there where you, it sounds like you maybe didn't bring that sensitivity, quote unquote sensitivity, or those emotions into school. You could just kind of tuck that away and then show up and you just have the smile on your face and you do, you do what you're supposed to do and you get the praise. And then it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's rainbows and as opposed to that emotional messiness. Yeah. And I mean, like within the home, I mean, the emotions got me in a lot of not, I don't want to say that I got in trouble for being emotional, but a lot of arguments I had a really tumultuous relationship with my dad, like up until really when I became an adult and was like, oh my God, I'm the spitting like internal image of my dad. No wonder we fight all the time because like to be faced with like himself probably was like difficult. But so I was like really emotional and always like, like difficult to deal with in that relationship. And so I think like being like, well, but look, like here's my gold star. So like, I'm, I'm still like the golden child. Like it's fine. Even though we got in an argument yesterday because I was crying over God knows what. Like that was definitely. Wait, did you say that your emotions maybe were difficult for him to see because he wasn't in in touch with them? Yeah, difficult, difficult to deal with or difficult to handle. Um, I would definitely say. And so what that would result in is like a lot of like arguments. Like we used to like go at it, like, cause I would be like, you know, I'm like, well, why? And like, why can't I just feel this way? And like, my dad is very much the like, because I said so kind of dude. Um, and so, or was at that time, I mean, he's developed a a lot of growth as I've become an adult, but definitely as a kid, he was a very, like, because I said, so I'm the dad, you don't get to ask why kind of person. And so having a lot of emotions come along with me was probably, I can imagine really difficult to like handle. Yeah. Well, this is really fascinating to me. And I want to get into this later because I want to talk about your experience as a parent, because you have a wonderful young child and that's sort of a dynamic right with the child can stimulate our own childhood experience right so that's so with your father that sounds like what happened especially if you're talking about he had this because i said so mindset well that tells me you know he's sort of alienated and, and fragmented from that from that child self and so this protector part comes up and just says, no, listen, listen to me because I said, so we're not going to actually have an authentic emotional energy channel here. It's just going to be a clamp down. Yeah. Right. So there's, it's just, it's really, uh, it's just interesting territory to kind of think about how the, the, the child can, can stimulate the parent. Um, but we'll get into, we'll, we'll get into your, your experience with your, your son, a little bit later, but I'm curious more about, about school and your experience in school. And you said you love learning and you're, I think you would call yourself a lifelong learner and you have a sense of curiosity. So I'm curious about, uh, did you have that sort of internal 
intrinsic motivation, that spark, was that throughout your school experience? Because school is, is so often a, an ex- extrinsically motivated experience. Mm-hmm. Like you talked about getting the gold stars and getting the grades and doing what the teacher says. And it's not, you're not choosing the topics that you want to learn. It's, it's a very extrinsically motivated place. So did you always have that sort of internal spark of following what you were interested in? Were you also learning outside of school, other topics that weren't like assigned to you? What was your relationship with like internal versus external motivation? Yeah, there was so much internal motivation um, constantly. Like I had in a book, like I would, I remember, like I would like walk from class to lunch or like to recess, like and I'd be, and people would be like, how are you, how do you know where you're going? Like your head's literally <laughs> in the book. Um, and so constantly learning about things that were outside taking, I mean, at the time they were like computer games, right. That were like educational computer games uh, where I learned, I remember learning about like veterinary science and like, I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was nine. And I was like super interested in everything. And like, um, also, you know, learn like I would be like really efficient with my schoolwork as well. So that it would be like, cool, when you're done with this assignment, like now you can go pick up a book and read. And so I'd be like, great, let me do this in six minutes and like get an A. So that way nobody, like the teachers don't think that I'm just like filling out paper, but like, let me get an A so they know I've got it. And then I can go do whatever the hell I want. Um, And definitely took that perspective. I will say when it got to like high school and like, so in elementary school specifically, there was like this award and I won it every year. I'm one of the only people in like (laughs) school's history to have won this. And it was like the top smartest or like, I don't know, I guess saying smartest is probably incorrect, but like the top female and the top male in every grade. And, you know, there was like five or six classes per grade. So like I beat out everybody every year. And then when I got to like high school and all of a sudden now I'm dealing with like thousands of competitors (laughs) like I was not the smartest anymore just without trying um so I will say from like the intrinsic motivation started to like wane when that like it's like I still like learning stuff but I definitely didn't like school to the same level because like I wasn't the best anymore and that was that was really I was like that shook my identity holy cow and I got to like high school and college and I just was no longer like the best just by default like I was like who am I I'm not the smartest what do you mean there's smarter people than me um so that definitely had an effect so like there's definitely like an external factor that that was at play once once it was gone it was like oh okay um that matters but like still very very I would I would definitely say it was so much and I'm guessing when you got to high school you had less time to read your own books yeah right because now like you want me to read like all these books that are like like they're fine but honestly like a lot of the classics really aren't that good like they're just they're just not like there's a few but like most of them are really not that great but all of a sudden it's like I gotta read it because well yeah I mean it it's it's also harder to enjoy it when it's assigned to you um but I like I like what you said about especially when you're younger uh doing the assignments in six minutes to get the A so that you go read your book like yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems like the best advice to a kid if he or she is going through public school, then make it a game and say how fast can you do what they ask you to do so that you can do what you want to do and stay in touch with that curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, and I it's funny because as I was like saying it, I realized I've continued to do that in my career as well. Like here's the thing, 
if I do my job, I do it extremely well and I'm very efficient, like I'm going to go do whatever I want with the rest of my time and the rest of my energy. Like, you know, I'm not slacking off. And, and if I'm the best, you can't fire me when I want to go do what I want. And I kind of just like took that into my career as well. Like I will, and, and I realize that now in this conversation. Yeah. Well, it helps that you've cultivated a life that you are, well, you're the, the badass budget babe. So you do what you want. Prior to <laughs> you that. don't have a boss. <laughs> <laughs> when I had a boss, like I remember like in sales, like, you know, I would shoot to hit my goal by like the 15th and then surpass it by like the 20th. And then guess what? From the 20th to the 30th, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing yeah. it or I'm, I'm going to go fuck around. Like, don't tell me what to do. I'm already, I already hit goal. I hit, I, I'm at 150%. Don't talk to me. <laughs> so, so what, where did that spark come from to start your own business? And like, I mean, give us the sort of synopsis of, I know you went to school for accounting and then you went into sales. I mean, this sort of spark, I know you've told me in the past that one of your values is freedom and you want to do what you want with your time. Um, But tell me about this sort of entrepreneurial spirit and this desire to create your own business. So that actually sparked when I was like a kid. Um, I, as a small kid, I had many business like ventures. Some got off the ground. Most didn't because I was a small child. Like I had a desire for a dog walking business at one time. I made a neighborhood bakery at one point. I, um, one that didn't ever take off was I was like, oh, I could do this like mommy's helper kind of like daycare and for like two hours and we'll do like snack time and read. And then like, you can go to the grocery store. And then my parents were like, do you know how much liability that is to like have a <laughs> child? You're, you're 10 and you want to watch these other children in our home. Like I, it's a no. Um, so lots and lots of things always was like trying to figure out like how do you make money how do you do this thing um so that's where it sparked I mean it's just always always been there and then as far as like how I got here um I went to school undeclared didn't know what I wanted to do um had you know I I could do anything and ended up in accounting with this desire to do a lot of nonprofit work and this thought of like if I do um, you know, to become pretty high up in the nonprofit world or like in a, in a nonprofit and going ahead and maybe be in-house accounting three months or nine months of the year. And then three months I could go out and do like field work and like actually be, be doing nonprofit work. So that's what I was like, cool, I'll do accounting. And then as I was going through it, um, this realization of like, okay, well, well actually, so for a while I even was like, I don't think I should go through college. I should like take a break on college because I know I want to start businesses and you don't really need a degree for that. And so that was the other thing, like accounting was kind of like, all right, well, someone's got to count the money if you're going to have a business. Um, and so I knew, like, I knew I wanted my own business since I was a kid. So I went and I did the whole like CPA firm route, did taxes and audits. And, um, it was cool, but like, I, once again, I was good at it, but then like doing what I want, there's so much bureaucracy and like tradition in the accounting field. So like, I would like wear cute clothes and they would be like, who are you dressing up for? And I'd be like, why can't I just have style? Like, why is this a problem? (laughs) Um, And like things like that. And so then I switched from that and was going to start my own company. And literally when I went to like, I was like working on my niche, which was going to be like 
wedding vendors and some recruiter calls me out of nowhere and is like, Hey, I have this job available at wedding wire. Are you interested in sales? And I had recently like had a little bit of sales experience and I was like learning sales for my business. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like let's test it out. And so I worked with wedding vendors for about a year and a half. And, um, then, and, and I kind of kept having these conversations though, where it was like, I don't know if I can buy wedding advertising or I can pay rent on the first. So sorry, like it's a no. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like you're just because you're a great photographer. And what I was realizing, you know, photographer or cake baker, or whatever, doesn't mean that you are a good photography business owner. And like, how could I start to bridge this gap with all this accounting knowledge that I've got in my brain and like all this, like love for entrepreneurs and like them following their dreams. Uh, how do I put that together? And so after a whole shebang boogie, I lost my job and was like, great, God, I guess you're telling me it's time to start this business. So like, let's, let's go. That's so you've known your whole life that you want to be an entrepreneur. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah, you can, I can just sense that like that just that flame has been, been alive the entire time since you were trying to do the, the babysitting business when you're 10. I mean, (laughs) Like there's that flair and there's that spunk and there's that desire to self-express. Like you didn't want to conform to the mold and you, you just yeah. knew that you want to go do your thing. Cause it's this, it's this inner fire. It's this sense of aliveness. This is why I think that all humans are born entrepreneurs and we're born creative and born wanting to express what it is that matters to us, which is in many ways what entrepreneurship is. It's creating a vision for what you think could be in the world based on what matters to you and, and, and fulfilling that. Um, so I wanted to ask though about more about your, your upbringing in terms of money, because mm. this is, this is what we're going to talk about a little bit soon, but what was that like for you in terms of the the money beliefs that might've been, planted in you and your relationship with business growing up? What was your family doing for a living? Um, this sort of climate of, of money, what was the foundation for you and how did that maybe affect your decisions into your own career? So loved money growing up. <laughs> okay. One of the things I thought <laughs> if I became an accountant, I would get to like count cash because I just like love counting cash like you just give me like a hundred one dollar bills they're going to be very organized and just love it um it turns out you know it's 2020 and we use everything as electronics so there was like no cash um but I used my dad is a financial advisor um he and my mom own a couple of all state offices and so he's been in um he does like investments and life insurance and things like that he's done that for 30 something years um and so always loved talking about money with him. Like we would sit up and watch the stock market when I was like a little kid. Um, and I was hyper interested in it. Um, as far as money beliefs, oh man, there's a few that have like, like, I'm just going to spill all my like dirty secrets. Um, and money beliefs, right. So they, they serve us, they protect us, they are positive. And then they also have this like shadow side to them where, if you're not aware of them or you don't know where they're showing up and why, like, then that's when you end up with like issues with it. Right. So like 
one belief with my dad being, um, you know, having, which I'll say is kind of like your own business, kind of not, but he was essentially, he did his own sales. So he was completely commission-based. So one belief that I've had forever is like, there's always more money to be made, right? Like I can just, yeah, maybe even if things are tight right now, like I can always go make money tomorrow and like, we're fine. Um, and that's fantastic, right? Like there's always more money. That's great. That's so abundant. Simultaneously, where I've seen that in my like life growing up and my life as an adult is this, oh, cool. We'll just buy things we can't necessarily afford right now because we could just go make it back tomorrow and it's no big deal and it'll like wash out. Um, and that was super common growing up, um, or like what else? Um, one, one phrase we always had a lot was like, it's not a calculator, which was like, in essence, like you can't just buy everything all the time. And so like, there was like, it was really weird because, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've, I've talked to a lot of people and they have is like, my parents did make good money. Um, and, but like, they both came from really poor backgrounds. So there was like, like we would save, you know, like I had to buy like the 98 cent shampoo and not like the $2 shampoo. And that, that was like, you know, if I wanted the $2 shampoo, like you better save your money and like get it yourself. But then like simultaneously, we would like take really nice vacations and like always like I, we never needed anything, but we would be like really frugal on things. And so like some beliefs that I've had to work through are like this, this question of like how much money is actually enough money, right? Like if you make $500,000 a year, but like, I got to buy 99 cent shampoo, like, so it's 500,000 a lot, like not that they didn't make that much back then, but like, you know, like, is that, is that enough? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that should be enough, but like we're scrimping and saving on certain things. So like, maybe it's not, not definitely like something I've had to work out is like, like what is like what what do numbers actually mean and like are they enough or not? Um, I'm trying to think other of other ones. Um, what about like just like a general conception of money as good versus bad? Oh yeah, there's lots of that all over the place. Like I mean, money is it's funny in society, right? Like it's always bad if you make like a shit ton of money. Like if you're Elon Musk, like you should be like, you're making too much money and nobody needs that much. And you should be giving back and you could cure world hunger three times over. Right. And like, you're like this bad person for having a ton of money. And even if you make like a good amount of money, right. Like let's say you make 500 K a year, like you're simultaneously supposed to like not talk about that at the table and like, nobody should know or else you're bragging. But then like, if you make $10,000 a year, then like, there must be something wrong with you and you must be lazy and you just don't work hard enough. And like, that's why you're poor. Like, so I can't have money, but like, I also can't not have money. Like, it's just, you're wrong either way in society because like we attach so much to money as a, as a whole that it's, it's actually ridiculous. Like when you really start to think yeah. about it, it's like, and it doesn't matter. Like if you, you know, donate a bunch of money, like people look at, at Bill Gates and they're like, yeah, he donates a bunch of money, but like, it's only this percent of his net worth. So therefore like, it's still not enough, even though it's billions of dollars and you're like, I don't Are think it's possible that? for him to donate his money. Like he has so much. It's like, it just keeps coming back to him. Exactly. Um, but he's, he's wrong for that. Like why? Why? Right. Yeah. At least asking that question is so key. And there's so much unconscious assumptions in, in this realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm reminded of, 
a podcast I listened to some years ago. It's more like a, it's called Rewild Yourself. And it's about like, there's, there's this, the host like lived in Maine and, and uh, hunted his own food and was really connected to nature and talked about health. And I remember he was talking about, he had like a, a an episode about some like certain topics um, and like taboo topics. And if you, and he was saying like, if you aren't able to talk about these, that means you're not fully actualized mature person. And he talked about money and it's like, mm-hmm. it's so prevalent in our culture to just not talk about it. Oh, that's a private thing. There's so much assumptions that's private. That's bragging. If you say how much you make, um, it's rude to ask someone how much money they make um, just so much. And there's and money, of course, this whole idea of money is selfish. And if, I mean, there's just so much, but I just feel like we need as, as humans to just grow up and like, Hey, let's talk about the truth about money. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like really like, right. Like the things about like, it's rude to talk about money. I, I mean, and I, I could be wrong and I'm happy to be wrong, but I think there are also a lot of like systems in place that like create those kinds of things in order to um, like there is here's the thing right there is a inequality within the workforce and there is exploitation within the workforce right and like it, like so like all of that is true but like if you think about like you're not supposed to ask your coworkers how much they make for whatever reason HR says you're not allowed to do that that's so that I mean maybe it's not always but like there are situations where that is actually like preferred because if you and I'm just gonna like no offense like if you as a white male are doing the exact same job and have the same qualifications like statistically speaking you're gonna make more money than me as an African-American female right so if I never get the chance to ask you though about your salary because I'm not supposed to then guess who's probably going to get paid less and never be the wiser, right? And all of a sudden, if I'm like, well, wait a minute, we do the same job. Why can't I get paid more? That causes issues for like a company because it's like, like they'd like to pay people on average, right? In general, I'm making large generalizations, but most places would like to pay pay people the least amount that they can to get the best amount of work. It's like the workforce in a lot of situations. So like, it's like, I think they're like, things have like trickled down and have now become like tradition, I guess, or have become story that maybe started with like ill intentions and maintain certain systems. And I think that that is like another factor. Like there's, I could just talk about all these different pieces of money all day long. <laughs> it's my favorite topic. <laughs> okay, there's different directions I could go with that. Um, I know, sorry, I didn't even take it all the way over there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly a game, right? And it's, it's like, it doesn't mean that I'm I'm not saying we ought to all be completely transparent about about money in, in all situations. It's 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 just like it's just like vulnerability about any topic. You know, there's no obligation to be vulnerable if you're doing that. It's not it's not honest. Like we want to be. Um, like the difference between authenticity and honesty. I've mm-hmm. I've made a distinction. I've thought about this a lot. 
um, like honesty is saying the truth and authenticity is saying the truth when you want to, in the way you mm. want to, in the context that makes sense for you, given variables and nuances of life. Hmm. So similarly with money, it's like, it's not, it doesn't mean we need to all be 100% open about how much money we make or, but there does seem to be a sense of fear about the topic. Yeah. Um, and also shame, which I think kind of yeah. like to your point of like authenticity is like, if I don't want to tell you how much money I make, because I just don't think it's your business is very different than I don't want to tell you how much money I make because I'm worried what you'll think about it. Yeah, right. Like exactly. those are completely different. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, it's the conscious based approach and the mature based approach versus that fearful based approach. Yeah. 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 So you're working with clients on this type of stuff where you work with entrepreneurs who are seeking to bring in more revenue, et cetera, and they're experiencing blocks and because of these types of, of beliefs, I'm just curious to hear more about like your work and, and what that looks like. And, and we're going to, in a, in a minute, we're going to test it out on me. Um, so it's going to be fun times, dear listener. Um, but just tell me more about what it is that you're examining when you begin to work with a client and what that process of transformation might look like over time. Yeah. Um, so we look at so many different things. So like for starters, more often than not, money blocks tend to be just like internal blocks, right? Like, and, and money is just like this quantifiable way to see it, to see like these, these issues come up, right? So if you're like, feel unworthy uh, to have a certain number of money, or, um, you know, I've worked for a client with clients for example, one who had been in an abusive relationship and literally like a certain number that she made got her hit. And so all of a sudden making more than that was like literally unsafe. Right. So like, but like the reality is like she had to work with her own nervous system and her own life changes to like create safety overall. And like the money was just like a quantifiable like piece to that. Right. So a lot of times money blocks and money stories they're just dollars attached to an, a deeper story. Um, and so because of that, we use really, really like a ton of methods and um, a ton of like, just really like a holistic healing around money. Um, so looking at lifestyle, um, a lot of times with business owners, when I see certain things, like I see them kind of cycling through, they have maybe like a really, really great month. And then like two, like a, a really bad month. And then like a so-so month, um, I'm going to look at like, well, what are your, um, what's your burnout cycle look like? How many days do you take off in a week? Um, you know, what does your eating look like? What's your sleep look like? Like, how often do you exercise? Like, I'm looking at these kinds of things, because like, that's going to affect how they can show up to the table. And it's going to like, when you are kind of like, in a less resourced place, like, then that's going to affect how you show up to the table, it's going to affect the way that your stories affect you. Um, we look at childhood things, we look at, you know, what did your what, like some of the questions you asked me, Joel, like, what did your, you know, what was your relationship with money? Like as a kid, like, what are the things that you learned from your parents? Um, and looking at things like that. And then we use a lot of like, I think 
you're the one with all the names for the things that'd be considered uh, CBT, right? I think we talked about that. Um, that's right. Cognitive behavioral therapy. That's the correct what about it? Acronym. I think we use a lot of methods that oh, okay. mirror that. I am not a therapist. Let me just, you know, disclaimer, sure. disclaimer, CBT. I'm not. Uh, but I use a lot of those um, and a lot of like, we get pretty woo depending on the client, like how much they believe in manifestation, how much they believe in energy work, how much, you know, they kind of like rest in those things. So anyways, like a whole really holistic methods to kind of un, un, uh, bring money beliefs to the surface and then rewrite them and even some like similar mind fix like subconscious reprogramming things if if that um if it's called for it and as far as like the the way it goes it's it's super non-linear right like every new level sometimes the same devils pop up and they just show up in this different way and you kind of like hit this wall but then every single time we do something as humans right we get better and better at it so you see this story um, or you see this block come up and you're like, oh, wait, like this only took me a week to figure out that I was doing it instead of a month. Like, great. And like, you can kind of step in and, um, and really make massive changes and it kind of just compounds on each other. I think that answers the question. Like, g- give me an example of like a particular belief or a block with, mm-hmm. with someone in their, their, let's say they're making 10,000 revenue a month. And they want it to triple that and mm-hmm. they're having some, some energetic block or they're struggling to, to close sales or, mm-hmm. or ask for a certain amount of money. Um, like just give give me more of an example of what it might look like when you, you can clear some of this and how, how that tangibly allows, like opens them up to to bring in higher revenue. Yeah. So like to use that specific example, right? Uh, first, we're going to look at your fulfillment structures. So one thing specifically in business, right? If I am going to triple my revenue, let's say I'm already working 50 hours a week with two clients and I want to take six clients. Well, wait a minute, where am I going to get any extra hours from? Like I'm already working 50 hours a week. How am I going to take triple the number of clients, right? So there could be fears around like hard work. You have to work really, really hard to make a certain amount of money. You have to burn out. That's a common one. You've got to like, like basically kill yourself Mm. to reach a certain amount of money. Um, I just don't have the capacity. I don't have the capability or, you know, if the thought of now I've got to run, I've got to have a team, I've got to add team members. And that's really scary. What if that was, that's actually something I recently ran into as I've been growing my business is, um, I was not leading myself very well and like my habits and things like that. And the things that, um, make me a good leader. And I had to look at that and say, Oh, I don't want to get more clients because in order to call my team members up to the next level or to add more team members, I would have to lead that. And if I'm being a shitty leader, how can I call them up? That's, that's completely out of integrity. So like things like that. Um, and once I kind of got rid of that it was like oh okay cool like step your leadership up and like let's do it so sometimes it's like really like um external or just like things that can be fixed you know you look like you have a thought oh no go ahead no you can say it (laughs) well it's interesting that you take this holistic approach i didn't realize that like it's not just you have a money belief of 
you know, I'm not worthy of making money. And then you need to like figure that out. That's core, but it's also, it's also like these auxiliary to, uh, beliefs that you need to knock out about, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have enough time or I'm going to burn out, you know, that's really, that's really key. <laughs> I'm surprised you're talking about doing like energy, energy type work as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know you're yes. like a certified Reiki person. I am. Yes. I don't know that I've ever done Reiki around money specifically. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, so like energetics, right. So we can get kind of, kind of woo with it. So different manifestation techniques, if you are like doing scripting or doing, um, like visualizations and things like that raised to like energetically moving money. Um, and like on the, like, I guess, like, I, I guess, would you say energy and beliefs are kind of like in the same category or should I like separate those out? No, I mean, it's, it's all towards the same end. It's just okay. interesting to me that there's, yeah, the energy work in particular is, yeah. is something that I wouldn't think about in terms of your business. It's yeah. Like, oh, that's over. That's going to be healing childhood trauma or, or, or anxiety, what, what not, but it's not necessarily, oh, we're going to help this person, um, make more money mm-hmm. or get more clarity about their money. So we're going to do energy work. Like I'm mm. curious about that. Yeah. So, um, that a lot of times will be, it's like, so like, for example, like clearing childhood trauma, let's just like, that's like energetics, right? Like, that's like you would making sure our definitions are the same before I just like talk for 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, we're saying the okay. word energetic in, a, like, okay. in the most broad way right now. We're not even cool. defining it, but right. you, you go ahead and riff on it how you want. Okay. I'm just going to talk. Okay. So <laughs> like things like raising your vibration, right? Like that sounds, I mean, that sounds so like woo, but like the reality is if I'm constantly looking around for like being down in the dumps and like not in like maintaining gratitude and things like that. Um, then it is harder to bring in money because, but then that once again goes back to like worthiness, for example, um, things like, uh, Oh God, I had a train of thought and then I lost it. Um, healing, 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 thank you. Healing childhood trauma. Um, and, and realizing like, cause it all goes back to itself, right? So when, and it all ties. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk whatever. Um, so like doing belief work, right? Like if I believe that I'm unlovable or believe that I'm unworthy, um, just like as general, like these are beliefs that I have about myself. And then now I've attached this number, right? Like I am worthy of X number of dollars or, um, like we don't cognitively think that, but when we like as children, right, let's say your parents you thought your parents were like the best people in the world and they made $50,000 a year, like in your subconscious, very, like very much. So you'd be like, great, great people make 50 K and like breaking through that barrier can be, um, you know, for whatever reason, if you think you are less worthy due to any sort of like inner things or, you know, life, life things that have happened, like all of a sudden 20 and 30 is like, well, they made 50 and they were fantastic. And so therefore like, I'm only worth 20. Um, that can be there. Or uh, like, like trying to think what else, like, like when you do healing work, it like, I mean, and you experience this with mind fix, right? Like it all of a sudden, like these little things start like 
like these bubbles just kind of start popping when you've like healed certain things and you're like, oh, I thought I healed this thing in my relationships. But then all of a sudden, like it was easier to get my work done at work or it was easier to go and like accept money when somebody tried to give it to me or like, you know, all of a sudden I'm healing um, a worthiness wound and the idea of having to earn every single dollar through a certain level of like hard work that starts to dissipate. And so those things start to like kind of go back and forth and it's like, oh, like, you know, so energetics of like, how do I, um, how am I an open channel for receiving this amount of money energetically versus how am I an open channel for earning this much money? And like, all of a sudden, like that's a block that can be cleared. So there's like so many different like ways to go about it. And, and it really depends on like where it's coming from and like what connects with the person also. Um, and then, and then you got the whole like physical side, right? So like regulating your nervous system, if you're con like our bodies adjust to whatever, um, and our bodies, our bodies inform our minds and beliefs, and then like our beliefs inform our bodies. Right. So like, if I'm constantly used to the adrenaline rush, and this is, this is something I dealt with, like in college and like just out of college, I was like the 28th. I, I had to figure out rent every single month. The, the 28th or 29th would come around and I'd be like, ah, shit, like first is in three days. Like, I don't have enough money for rent. What am I going to do? And I became addicted to this like adrenaline rush of like figuring it out. Right. And this piece of my identity that was like, I get it done. I always come through. I've never been late on rent ever in the 10, but I have not counting years anymore that I've lived on my own. <laughs> um, like I've never been late, but for so many years, every month. And it was this like rush of adrenaline that I figured out and I got to, you know, maintain my identity. So now all of a sudden when my nervous system has rent just sitting in the bank, that feels uncomfortable. That actually feels unsafe. That is the safer thing. But because I got used to this feeling of adrenaline and I got used to the, the high, um, and so like, that was something I had to learn to do is to regulate my nervous system and, and understand that like this, this number in the bank is safe. I can be trusted. So that's another one. I can be trusted with this number in the bank. Cause like, you know, if I've had this number and I've blown it on dumb stuff and then all of a sudden I don't trust myself with money, I'm going to stop myself from making a certain amount of money because you're just going to fuck it up anyway. So like you don't deserve it. Right. So like all these different pieces and they all like really like commingle and it becomes this beautiful puzzle um, that gets to heal people on like at so many different levels and, and see it filter out. I love this. Ari. I love, I love getting the window into the totality of your approach and that dynamic multifaceted, the, the, the different angles that you take. And it, it is so valuable. It's like a symbiotic process. It's like, mm-hmm. You know, it's like health. Um, if you if you move your body and get sunshine throughout the day, then you'll also sleep better. It's not mm-hmm. just like getting to bed on a certain time. It's like doing other components help helps helps the sleep or th- these things interrelate to each other. So, not simply hacking out one, you know, one one branch with just uh, a sort of analytical CBT type approach with beliefs, yeah. which is re- really valuable, but um, also just looking at like the physiology and, and, and all these different contexts. So, all right, we're going to try something that I've never really done on the show before, which is like have a live session of Joel, personal, 
personally growing. We'll see at least. Um, so I've, I, I've, uh, I've done some of these money beliefs since coming across mind fix this year. Um, I've done beliefs such as when I say done, I like I've, I've used this mind fix process to clear the belief from my mind in the sense of Santa Claus is no longer real. Um, and it, again, for the listener, if you want to go back to season three, listen to the episode in particular with Jackson Sullivan about the mind fix process. Do it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so some of the beliefs that I've um, addressed this year are like, uh, I don't have enough money. I'll never have enough money. Uh, money Making money has to be hard. I can't be rich. Uh, money is bad and selfish. Um, stuff like that, you know, like uh, if I'm rich, that means I'm not a good person, that kind of stuff. So there's been, it's been valuable and I've, I've already started to, to open up. Um, I remember I, I cleared the belief. I can't ask for a raise. I was getting all insecure about potentially asking for a raise. And then I cleared this belief and then like, Four days later, I got a raise without asking. <laughs> it, was, it was just kind of funny how that worked. I mean, maybe it's just coincidence, but so, but I'm still having some blocks here. And I'm like, I'm realizing intuitively that there's a good amount of blocks still to go and like beliefs to even just identify. Um, so I'm just curious to, and we talked a little bit before the show and we've talked in previous conversations a little bit about my my relationship with money and money beliefs, but I want to kind of dive into a little little bit more because what I've been experiencing lately is, is like in this, in particular, the idea of like sales and asking with the company that I work for crash, like asking um, for money. Like I'm, I'm writing this, I do this daily email newsletter and I'm looking to bring in sponsors for our, our newsletter and, I've just noticed even asking for like a small amount, like a hundred dollars is I'm noticing physiologically some resistance, some tension, like like a block in my throat chakra. If you want to go in that, from that angle on it, but like if I, if I think about, or I, or I just say like, like right now, if I say, would you give me a hundred dollars? Like it, it's harder to say that than if I said, would you give me a high five? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's like, there's a resistance there in my body, in my voice. So tell me what to do. Ari, what, how do I solve this? <laughs> um, okay. So first question, because you mentioned sales. Um, but then you also like your example was like asking me like, is it, is it just like asking in general or is it asking, like, is it specifically related to sales? Uh, I think it's asking for money. Is that what you're asking me? Well, I like, yeah. Asking for money in Versus general. Asking for, for a sale, like per, like a asking oh. to purchase something. Like, do you feel the same way in both? Oh, scenarios? Like if I ask a friend for money. Yeah. Like you're like, Hey, Ari, can I have a hundred bucks? Versus um, a business transaction. Yeah. You're trying to get like, the distinction hey, there. Hey, badass budget, babe. Would you like to buy, spend $100 on a sponsorship right now? Do those feel different? 
Um, let's see, $100. I think it feels more uncomfortable just ask you for $100 without the business transaction because okay. I'm not giving you value, like at least not on the surface. Okay. I'm just asking for $100. Like, well, I'm like in debt to you now. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I made that audible and I normally wouldn't say that. That sounds really judgy. And I'm really sorry. I wasn't trying to be judgy. Um, <laughs> it's all good. You do, do your thing. Okay. So um, when's the last time somebody gave you something for no reason? For no reason. Like no apparent reason. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Someone gave me a gift card for my birthday, but that was That's for a reason. reason. Yeah. That's a reason? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where you're going with that. I'm asking my question. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just, I, like, I'm not, I can't, I can't, nothing comes to mind. Okay. When's the last time you gave someone something for no reason? Uh, well, I gave, I gave my friend a book last night. I signed a seller for no reason. Was it like for, uh, just because you're like, Hey, I have this book and I think you would like it. That, that's like no reason, but like, it's your birthday. So I'm gifting you this book. It's like, it wasn't, reason. it wasn't his birthday, but it was like a, a book to like help him get organized. Okay. Okay. And like specific like that could that could like a specific uh, end, but I think that he would really benefit and would appreciate it. But it wasn't so. It was just a gift that okay. um, you know there wasn't an occasion for it. Okay. Okay. Um. I keep. I need to take better notes. Um. Oh right. Can you like define? When you think of a salesperson, can you like give me a description of a salesperson? Like what do they look like? What do they sound like? How do they act? Well, my perception is there are two categories. There's one person who is genuine and just wants to create a value exchange and is very relaxed and non-pushy and authentic and curious about your needs and that's like the best way to be and then there's like the vast majority of salespeople who are projecting this sense of i want you to do this so that i can get or maybe i'm projecting right now but what i experience is that the vast majority of salespeople are in a mindset of like getting the commission or being aggressive, trying to close and maybe talking more than listening kind of thing. Okay. Anything else? Um, not necessarily... Yeah, there's like an association I have with, and then maybe it's just a general money belief. It's like it's not it's not humanistic. Mm. 
So I, I grew up in, a, you know, not surrounded by entrepreneurs, not surrounded by business parents who worked in public sector and surrounded by a lot of, you know, the arts world and nonprofits and like do what you love, not don't try to make money, just do what you love. So then like, I think I might've implicitly assumed that like someone like a salesperson is only caring about the material world and having a lot of money for material comfort, et cetera, but not really interested in human rich, like and enriching human experience. Mm, okay. Okay. If an artist or a, okay, if a self-proclaimed uh sorry, I want to use the language you just used, but um what do you like the words that you just used to just like at the very end to describe that person is that is like doing good things for the world. Um humanistic interested in enriching experiences interested in enriching yeah so if i'm a self or there is a self-proclaimed person who is interested in enriching the human experience and they have a lot of money also what does that like what immediately comes up for you what immediately comes up is that that is rare okay which intellectually i'm like i have no evidence for that but we're not like asking your intellect. Okay, my subconscious, <laughs> that's my subconscious reaction. <laughs> you know, your brain is very smart. Your subconscious is trying to protect you. Um, and then I think, so typically, let me just state this very much, in a session, usually if, it, if we're just coaching, it's like 60 to 90 minutes and I am asking questions for like 70 of those and then like, giving thoughts at the very end so i typically yeah, ask yeah, yeah. like a ton of we go down all the different rabbit holes so i am kind of shortening this um and i hate to do that because i don't want to be like diagnostic without like enough information but for the sake of time like i'm going to give my feedback and it's not diagnostic right. it's just feedback that you right. can go home and think about and we can talk about later um But uh, you said something about people that do something for love versus for money. So um, what does it mean to have a lot of money? And Wait, actually, question number one, how much is a lot of money? How much is like too much money? But you're just like, I could never have that much money. In subconscious thought that comes up. Um, well... The first question, what's too much money? Probably, probably if you had like a hundred million dollars, it's like, that's just like, you don't need more than that. Okay. <laughs> like I have like clearing the belief about like, I can't be rich and clearing the belief about like I did clear a belief about something about, um, you know, if you have a lot of money, you can't be like a good person. Mm -hmm. So that's opened up. I probably wouldn't have even, I probably, my number probably would have been a lot lower before. Um, Cause, and, and like, in terms of what I can achieve, I'm like, yeah, it's possible for me to make a lot of money. 
but there's still something there about um so how much wait how much is a lot because you didn't just put a number on it you didn't say it's possible for me 100 million is just a lot so how much is a lot um i think i could be a millionaire okay cool 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 feels like it'd be a challenge but it's possible okay um when you think about what what does what creates a value exchange in your mind that is like worth money? Can you like go down that rabbit hole of just like your ideas on value exchange that is worth money? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously value is subjective, so it's not necessarily going to be obvious what what is equal. I mean, that's the thing about value exchange is that one party thinks one, like their end of the deal is, is higher in value, right? Right. It's not actually equal. Um, but I guess that's my intellectual brain speaking right yeah. now. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Well, I love that guy. He's so smart. He's so smart. Love it. Uh, I don't know what, what's coming up for me is from the subconscious is like, I'm not sure that I give enough value when I'm asking for value, value in return. Mm. Okay. So for the sake of time, I will just give you, like I said, this is my feedback and where I would take you typically like from here. So I would be really, I would be really curious about your beliefs around receiving how often you receive, how often you open yourself up to receive. Um, I would also be curious about the difference between receiving needs and like asking for receiving needs. And I, I would probably give you homework around this. So, I mean, I'm happy to do that. Um, but like, I would give you homework around. I don't like, like homework. Okay, no I would give you opportunities for improvement Ooh. by suggesting um, putting yourself in a position of receiving um, just because, not just that, but also putting yourself in a position to practice asking for things that you don't need, right? So like if you, mm. like you have no problem asking for what you need as far as I know you, you have so much um, ability to like separate my response to your needs and just be like, well, I need this. So I asked for it. And like, that's it. And like, you got something you've developed and that's really amazing. And I would be really curious, um, what it would look like if every day you asked people in your life, um, and maybe you start with like your, your besties. Like if you asked me for a hundred bucks, I would be like, like I'd ask you what you need it for, but that's really just because I'm nosy. If you were like, "Hey, can I have a hundred bucks?" I'd be like, <laughs> "Yeah, sure." Like you probably have a good reason for asking. Um, but like, you know, I would be, I would love to see what it looks like if you just started asking the people in your life for things just because. Um, so maybe it's not, right. you know, don't ask your broke friend if they can give you a hundred bucks, but if you know, hey, like do you have any good books? I'd love to borrow a book of yours that I'm just curious what you, what you've been reading lately or something like that. And just like figuring out what it looks like to actively receive and kind of step into that. 
I would be curious about um, your identity. So when you were kind of describing salespeople, um, who you are definitely obviously falls on the side of like the genuine value exchange, relaxed, authentic, curious. And you said this is the best type of salesperson. That is who you identify with. Like as like when you're like, hey, I'm Joel, like I'm authentic, I am curious, I give value. Like that's who you are. Um, but knowing that the in your mind, the majority of salespeople are over there. And then this question of am I actually giving enough value for what the other person is receiving in exchange? Um if there's some kind of like belief around like really what a salesperson like oh like this genuine authentic salesperson is so rare and so special and so they're the best and I'm brand new at sales and so I'm probably like in my sales hat where did like what are your thoughts on like what it means to wear a sales hat at the very beginning of your sales career um and if that doesn't line up with like like a new salesperson does all these things, but like who I am is on this side, then I, then I don't want to be a new salesperson. And I'd be curious where like the identity piece lines up there. I would also be curious about your belief in the product, just like strategically. Um, like. I think like, I mean, I love, I love the product. Okay. I'm, I'm like, there's a thing about advertising that I'm like, that's coming up as well. Ah. It's like, that's not pure. Mm. You know, they paid uh, for a spot. You didn't really like need them or like want. No, them it's there. like, they I don't want, like, like, I don't like advertisements. Mm. And like, and I mean, uh, there's, there's an advertisement for this show at the, um, I, I got my first sponsor. Oh, congratulations. And well, that's, and that's be because, because of the value alignment, because the, like, mm. I, I know the founder and it's based on, it's this dating app. It's based on finding people based on your your values and mm -hmm. growth in particular growth mindset and connecting with people in that way so it's it's it doesn't feel like it's something that's misaligned and that's how mm -hmm. that's the approach i'm taking with with um the newsletter that i'm talking about as well but <clears throat> there's still something overall about about advertisements that there's like some there's some block there like like for example university of michigan football stadium it's the largest stadium in north america and they just don't have advertisements in the stadium mm -hmm. and it looks beautiful you go and mm -hmm. you like i've stood in the middle of that field and you just like look up and you just see the field. And it's like, there's some, there's an aesthetic there that I like. Um, anyway, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but. Nope. That was probably something there. I'm going to let you finish. Well, no, that, I guess that relates to the idea of like love versus money, right? Like, are we doing this for the money or are we doing this for the love? And there's like a conflict there. I don't want there to be a conflict, but. Can I ask you a question? Are ads going to ruin the integrity of your newsletter? Uh, I think only not in your brain. Okay. Yeah. I just caught myself. Yeah. In my brain, I think only if it's, if it's, if it's continues to be uh, value aligned, then it's fine. And my gut, it's like, I don't want any ads. Oh, huh. 
but I'm open to like questioning that, but that's what, that's the honest truth is it from my gut. That's, that's the one that works here. Um, so I, maybe there's something around money and sales and probably, I mean, like definitely that identity piece. It also be curious about your, the other note that I wrote. Um, so a, there was the love and money, right? Like where that the, where those things cross and you have dealt with a lot of beliefs, but there's probably like something under the surface there. And then also this thought of like making the decision for the other person. So if I decide like you might not want it, like I might not sell the same way. Like I remember one time when I worked in retail and this guy came in and he looked really broke and he was like, Oh, let me see this watch. And it was like a $3,000 watch. And I was like, you know what? Like there's actually these other watches over here that are like $400. And he was like, no, I want to see that one. And I'm like, okay, it's three grand. I felt like such a dick. I mean, in hindsight, like this was years ago, but anyways, like I assumed he would not be a buyer. And yeah, I, I decided for him that this was too expensive of a watch. And guess what? One of my coworkers got the sale. So, um, that could be, you know, if you, you, your decision-making in like, where they fall on the value scale and is it a fair value exchange to them to them they might you know if i know off of your newsletter i'm gonna get 10 clients and like of course it's worth 100 bucks i'm about to go make one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year off this like great like but i would definitely do some digging around advertising messing up the integrity of your newsletter because why else would you like that newsletter means so much to you and if you were to get ads in there and that felt disintegrous, that would literally be choosing money over love. And that is out of integrity with who you are. And I would actually do a lot of digging over there. This is good, man. Uh, what's Okay, what's the summary here? <laughs> um, the summary, go practice receiving just because you're yep. And examine your beliefs around how much value you give at any given moment by just existing. That would be another one is where does your value come from? Like you as Joel, where does your value come from? Does it like, is it what you do and what you provide and the way you show up for people? Or is it the fact that you're Joel and like you're the bomb and just spending time with you like legitimately increases the value of people's lives without question. Like you just stand there and we just can talk and like that increases my day without you doing anything. So um, I would do some digging around that and I would do some yeah. digging around how to create a way that your ads and your newsletter can live in harmony. Yeah. That, that's your opportunity there. This is, man, you've, you've done some archeology span work here and we're just beginning. Um, but thank you. First of all, anytime, and- literally anytime. <clears throat> I'm just what's coming up for me right now, and as we we close this portion, but like to put a bow on it, it's it's just like I feel sad because of how much is programmed, mm. you know that I that the, the programming I received, and that how prevalent this is for many people. Um, and the whole piece about receiving, like, yeah, 
I mean, that was one of the themes for me at, at the mind camp where we met. Remember that. Um, Cause one of the beliefs that I addressed was, was I'm not worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And once that was cleared, like before that everyone at the retreat, like, and people expressed this to me after, and I realized that after that I was sort of doing my own thing and not really fully connecting and opening myself up to everyone else. And then as soon as that belief was, was cleared, I felt immediately and sustained that ever since a sense of love and connection with everyone who was in that house. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but with the money thing, there's still, I think auxiliary beliefs there about receiving. And there's just, there's so much, that I've done throughout my life, which is like being independent. And so, yeah, this is, this is some good territory for me. Um, and I really want to dig in more and I want to bring in a lot of money so that I can, so I can bring a lot of joy to my life and to others' lives and just flourish, you know? Hell yeah. (sighs) Good stuff. Uh, Now I feel like, okay, if, if, because we just did that, mm-hmm. what, we'll, what we'll do right now is we'll direct the listeners to how they can get in touch with you. And then instead of doing that at the very end of the podcast, like, like normally yeah. you would do, and then I want to close off talking about parenting. Um, so like, okay, if someone's interested in your work and working with you and this territory, how can they find you? I would say Instagram is going to be your best bet. There is minimal content on there unless you want to see stories of my kid. But if you DM me, then I will always respond. Um, And there will be more content in the future. I was working on that today. So what's Uh, the Instagram handle? Instagram at badassbudgetbabe all one word there's no punctuation just at badass budget babe and then badassbudgetbabe.com as well yes that exists exists. (laughs) it does exist it's like it's Uh, like instagram is yeah websites are so like 2011 yeah Uh, i made mine myself and let me just tell you i am an accountant i am not a computer programmer so let's just go with that also on facebook actually facebook's really good at ari michelle is me on facebook so okay yeah put that in the show notes i will do that so wow that was that was good um that was fun too just like i've never done that type of thing on the show before and i hope it's valuable for people to to just get a little window in i was inspired by tim ferris Tim Ferriss did a show with Richard Schwartz, the founder of IFS therapy, internal family <laughs> systems therapy, which I've talked about throughout this show. Um, and he did, a, he did a session with Richard Schwartz and it was really moving and it was really valuable to, to see how Richard worked with Tim. Um, so I just kind of thought about that. I'm like, well, why would I not do this with Ari? Cause then I get to, to learn and grow and then just, give people a little bit of a demonstration there. It um, literally cool. like makes my whole day, by the way, that you had the desire to do that. I like 
fills my heart with joy. Awesome. So thank you for Yay. the opportunity. Uh, let's talk about parenting. Um, I've heard you say that you consider yourself to be pursuing conscious parenting. Yes. And well, first of all, you have a little uh, two and a half year old now. Yes, he Yo, will be Joe? officially two and a half tomorrow. Actually, oh. it'll be his half birthday. Uh, so yes, Jojo, y'all, he's the best. Yeah. Well, that was when we first met, like that was the first thing. It wasn't like, we weren't talking about you. It was like, we're just talking about Jojo right away. Like, like um, uh, yeah, he's, yeah. I haven't met him, but the pictures you showed me seems like literally the coolest two-year-old ever. Literally. Literally. As it is, as the young kids say these days. Literally uh so what is conscious parenting and like and then riff on that and just riff on what is what is it that jojo's has taught you the past few years so first of all and i don't feel like the internet like there's lots of like conscious parenting tiktoks and instagrams and i follow them and they really make it seem like this is much easier than it is this is difficult. Okay. Like, because, but it's, 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 it is the best thing ever. Let me just like, it is such a worthwhile, difficult, um, but it is difficult. Um, it's like, you're constantly in this battle. And like I said, at the beginning, right? Like I, I grew up in a very, like, because I said, so household, like mom too. Um, and that just is the way our household ran. And like, I, um, understand where, you know, it came from for them and that's great. But like this, uh, constant back and forth in internally for me of, the impulse to kind of utilize that style of parenting and um, be a little bit more no nonsense and, um, you know, using my adult brain to say like, it just is what it is. And like, I'm the mom and you're just, you just got to listen because I said so. Um, And simultaneously looking at him, like he's this little human being. He's not a baby. He's not my baby. Like I just, you know, get the chance to hang out with him for the rest of his life, which is pretty cool. And seeing him as this whole human being and this back and forth between, you know, how do I learn to teach him to be disciplined, to um, know which things are like, I even hate to say it this way, but I'm going to say it and you're going to like, look at me, like the correct way to behave. Like what is like, you know, okay behavior in the household and what is not. And, um, having my own insecurities and tempers and things pop up that like trigger me and trying to like give myself space as my own whole, like trying to heal human being and simultaneously not like stuff my own stuff down, but also not like just vomited on on him because he's there. Like it's, it's the hardest thing. And it's like, I see there are instances though, that I see like, it is so valuable. Like, you know, like I'll be upset about something and he'll tell me like, mom, let's do deep breaths. Like let's, let's sit here and we'll, it's okay, mom, we'll do deep breaths. And like, he's so 
kind and caring and, and conscientious of other people around him. And he is incredibly um, smart and like in tune with the world around him. He like, he's just like on it. Like he is so smart. And I do think so much of that comes from like treating him like a whole person and not like this little child who needs to be like reared. Um, and, but like, he's like a whole person, not, not a baby. You're not, he's my baby. <laughs> so anyway, that's my spiel. Yeah. I l- Probably didn't mean anything. <laughs> no, no. He's a little person. Yeah. You know, I, I love that term. Uh, Cause it reframes, reframes it in the mind of this is a, just the, the will of the child is that is the same as the will of the adult, right? Like, this essence that is you as a human, you've had that your entire life. So the, this child has this essence of this will, this volition, this, uh, there's, there's a, there's a, that wholeness, that dignity, right. Mm-hmm. Is intact. If we, as parents, I'm not a parent, but I mean, just as parents in general, if, parents give the respect and dignity to the child it makes sense to give it to them because you know what i'm saying so yeah as opposed to you are raising this inadequate like younger being who doesn't who hasn't uh developed that dignity yet right yeah oh my god that's such a good way to phrase it yeah. So I just love, I love that you, I can, I can understand that it's like the most challenging undertaking of your life. <laughs> and I just think that the like conscious parenting to me, it just means it's really simple. It's, are you making an effort to be intentional versus mm-hmm. uh, are you automatically raising the child based on how you were raised and that's the default setting like you will raise the child in the same way if you don't pause and put space between stimulus and response if you don't reflect if you don't read new books if you don't analyze if you don't check your internal world right if you're doing some of that stuff and it's i imagine not it's not like you're going to be perfect at it right but the very fact that you would attempt to put awareness is so powerful. And then that's conscious parenting. It's not perfect parenting. It's conscious parenting, you know? Mm. So appreciative you're saying this because that line between like, I'm trying and like when I am not doing such a great job and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I'm trying so hard right now. And like, what if I'm like, I don't know, we're going to find out in 16 years or so if I'm doing a horrible job. I Like, you know, then he's an adult and I'm like, ah, shit, messed up. <laughs> um, and like, you don't know. I think that's like really hard because there are some days where I feel like I'm getting it. And then like other days where I'm like, I don't even know. Like, how does he compare to other kids? Well, let me ask Am you about I- that. Because you said being like doing a good job. I, mm-hmm. I think that's like the essence, the, um, the water in which we swim, 
I keep saying we, I'm just saying in the broad sense of, of humans who are parents on this planet, being a good parent is like this desire, right? Mm -hmm. And I see that as like a role-playing type thing. And if we can remove that and be, just be you and not be a parent, it's sort of maybe a nuanced thing, but I'm curious about your thoughts on that concept of there's a role to be played. And I think, okay, I'll, I'll stop there. So I think there's two pieces here. So one is like the way that you just like defined conscious parenting or described it already, like, and I'm working on it, but like, I have the tendency to be very like all or nothing, very perfectionist still, like very much like healing those pieces. And so even within your description of it's intent, like conscious parenting is just intentional parenting um, right there almost tells me we're like starting at two different lines because your description of it was already like a conscious parent is like within the process of how you show up moment by moment versus conscious parenting is a style of parenting that you are either doing right and you end up with this kid. I, I don't know what I think because like I like I'm saying this and this is not actually what I think, but I guess that's like what's hanging out in there on if I'm doing a good job or not. But like you end up with this kid who um, knows how to act in public and simultaneously knows how to own and express their own individual emotions and knows how to care for other human beings and like has all these different traits that I I hope for him. Um, and so like right there off that, right, just our viewpoints are like we're starting on different lines and which is why I was saying like I really appreciated your description because it was like a reminder of like oh yeah like point of this is not to have this perfect kid at the end of you know 18 years and who's this great human being it's to have intentionally parented moment by moment so like that right there and I would say I do think in fact when we met right because I worked on this a ton got there and cried in front of everybody like so embarrassing um there was this like hat of like, I'm a good mom that I really wanted to wear and felt super important. Why do I feel emotional? Holy cow. Um, that felt really, really important to me of at the beginning of that weekend was, am I a good mom? And that was like a result of, or like a reflection of like my kid. Um, and however he shows up is this reflection of like me. Um, and that did get to, got to skedaddle, uh, out of my life. But now there's this question of Am I doing a good job? Am I, um, am I treating him well, right? Like, am I, you know, this line between um, helping, like I, I do, I want him to have self-discipline and I want him to know how to behave in public in a way that like is okay. I want him to know how to treat other people um, with respect and with kindness. Um, I want him to know how to stand up for himself and punch someone in the face if that is what the situation calls for. Like, and so like, I have all these desires. And so this question of is, is no longer, am I a good mom as an identifier of me, but am I doing a good job of like, is still this question of like, am I going to get the result that I hope to see in the future, which is still not necessarily like the best question to be answered uh, or to be asking, but like, it's this thing that it's like, I don't, I don't know. Like I literally have no idea. You know, and like, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe that's, I mean, 
when I'm like being my highest self, that's not the right question anymore. And then in the day to day, it's definitely like, okay, but am I like, could somebody just give me a gold star? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, goes full circle. <laughs> always, yeah, always. That's the good, yeah. It's the good job thing. You know? Yeah. So this is the I extrinsic motivation, perfect. right? Yes. The extrinsic motivation from our childhoods is those gold stars is the approval. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I say. Like I have a blog post that says, stop telling your kids, stop telling your kids good job. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this before yeah. privately. Um, so this idea of, of the good job is sort of that, is that gold star of, of extrinsic motivation. And so, but I see what you're saying and I, I can understand like this desire to, to see certain results for him, right? You want to, like, in many ways, he's a reflection of you and his ability to meet certain needs, to be able to, you know, show up in public and be able to interact in a considerate way to meet, to meet needs for consideration. Right. Um, like you want that to happen and you want to um, empower yourself to impart that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but t- at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of like, it seems like there's an element of letting go of control because you can't control. <laughs> right. 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 Well, and then it's this question of like, well, which, which parts am I, and some of that's like societal, right. And like programming, but like, which parts am I supposed to be trying to control? And, you know, like things like, for example, he'll be with his cousins and he like, so he, he's an only child. So like, that's a part, right. He doesn't go to school. He doesn't go to daycare or anything like that. His interactions with other children are, especially after the pandemic, extremely limited, even yeah. at his age. Um, but all of a sudden we go to my sister's house and she's got her three kids and he hits one of them just out of the blue. They're just playing, having a good time. Everybody's laughing and joking. And all of a sudden one of them's crying is like, Jojo hit me. Well, that does come back on like, okay, well, why does your kid hit every time he's over here? I don't, I don't know. And I don't know how to stop it, but that seems like the kind of thing that like, I'm supposed to teach him not to hit, but like, how do you teach that without like anger and say, you know, Hey, don't hit anybody. And like, now you're punished because you're hitting. Right. Like, and all of a sudden this question of like, where is, where is the line of me disciplining him and like, like not teaching him I don't you know like and you're just like wow yeah well that's I mean, this, is, this is sort of the the past on psychology in our culture of and I mean like the the extreme example of that concept is like um the, the parent like says don't hit your sister and then and then he, he hits his wife or, or like or just like hits the child Hitting's right. bad. Hitting right. is bad. Right. I'm not your gonna thank you because you because you hit your cousin. I'm not gonna it's like really traumatic and, and contradictory and confusing. Um, so how can we go beyond that and get curious about what the needs are behind the hitting and also get needs met for boundaries, right? And respect and safety. Yeah. Um so, but this, this is, whole, but this, go ahead. I was going to say, there's also a question of age, right? So like, to say like, 
get curious about needs to go to a two-year-old and say, why did you hit him? I'm two. I maybe can't more often than not can't express why I just did that. Maybe at four and five, you could say, well, why did you hit him? Oh, because the A, B, A, B, and C at that age, the verbalization or the understanding, right. It was just, I don't know. I had this urge. And so then I hit him and maybe there was a reason and he, it couldn't be, he took the toy. He did something and like, nobody knows any of that, but like at that age, you know, at, at the very beginning trying to do this, it can be really difficult because the answer to why and that explanation piece, they may not have the ability to like yeah, add that I can, to the mix. I can imagine that is particularly frustrating when there's not the verbal communication from the child at that age. Okay. So then it just becomes like, you can be curious and wonder and try to understand on your own, basically. Yeah. But you're not necessarily going to get the feedback from him at that age. Yeah. Um, but this, this, this goes into like the question I really wanted to ask is like, I know there's something, something that I admire about you, which is your willingness to take responsibility for your own internal state. And when, when feelings are stimulated for you, um, like a willingness to introspect. And so I'm curious about how, like you've grown the past two and a half years now in that way to say, okay, when he did this, I felt this impulse or I felt this frustration or this anger, et cetera. And your willingness to examine that and do the internal work. Like I'm, I'm reminded of this book, Parenting from the Inside Out by Dan Siegel. And that's like his whole thesis is like, um, the, the, the real work is to do the, the inner integration work um, for the, the child that is inside of us, because when we're getting upset, it's a s- signal that um, there's something unhealed within us. And so I'm just curious about how having a son for these past two and a half years has sort of catalyzed that type of personal integration work. Oh my God, so much, so freaking much, man. Uh Specifically, like what's come up a lot lately. So, well, A, like overarchingly, this question of how would I react? How would I behave? How would I, you know, what would be my response if it was JoJo instead of me? Um, And that has been, I mean, since he was born, since I was pregnant, actually, um, a coaching question that I have asked myself and have been asked so many times. that has been major. So if I am beating myself up, if I'm unsure about a decision, if I am, um, you know, going back and forth, whatever, like trying to heal something, trying to work on something, feeling stubborn, whatever, how would I, how would I hope, or how would I guide Jojo if he was in this? How would I speak to him if he had just done this thing? How would I want him to come to the table? Right. So like when I'm scared of coming to the table with something or feeling shame or a lack of forgiveness for myself, um, what would I like, what would be my hope for him? And, and, and that has been like a life changing question for me. And then specifically, you know, I've been doing a lot of like inner child work over the last, probably like last six months specifically. And every time that my brain or like different, um, like protector pieces want to come up and, or, um, even like pieces that are like more like gaslighty and kind of are reminiscent of, my childhood of like, well, you're just too sensitive for these feelings. Like you're just like 
you're being ungrateful by having this anger right now, or you're whatever. Um, this question of like, like as soon it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like, as soon as I put his face in over my own thing, the, like the, the amount of curiosity I have, right. It's no longer, well, you're just being too sensitive and you're being ungrateful. As soon as it's like, well, would I, would I, would I speak to him like that? Like, no, I would say, you know, Hey, well, what's going on? Like, Hey, you seem really upset about this thing. Like, do you want to talk about it? What are you feeling? And I would really like, you know, get down on his level and do that. And so I treat myself. Um, and I think that that mm. has completely sped up my healing process and the different deep work that I've done. I mean, just tenfold, I've just like burning through things like, oh, okay, well, that's easy. Um, I like with his face on it. That's beautiful. That, that sense of looking at your own inner child and, and doing that sort of reparenting and yeah. of your own self and asking how you want to treat yourself. And that's what it's all about. That's what this show is all about. You know, can you give yourself the self-acceptance and compassion and empathy and kindness and curiosity mm-hmm. instead of, uh, I'm reminded of, of Gabor Mate, um, who's done the body is a lifetime's work in, in the realm of childhood trauma. And he t- talks about compassionate inquiry instead of saying, why did I do this? Say, huh, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And having that sense of compassion and curiosity for what's alive in you and going beyond the judgment. Um, and, and, and just, Stop avoiding berating yourself and rather becoming attuned to, to what's motivating you. And if you do that with your own inner parts, then you will by extension be offer that to the child and offer that to everybody. Yep. It's within. Yeah. Yeah. I will say the other thing that it's really made, because I was just thinking of the other thing is also like my perception or, or I guess like that, that need to be seen as perfect in public. I think it has, I mean, cause you know, I have people who don't do this kind of work in my life and they do look at things and they're, why, why do you give him so many choices? And why do you, you know, like he just needs to, to get yeah. it together and just listen and like these things and this, this calls to question this like initial urge of like, uh, just kind of falling in line with whatever is like the expectation at that point and this very conscious process of like stopping and saying really am I going to put their desires and yep. expectations ahead of my own kid like and the way that I speak to him and like I'm going to do this I'm going to do things one way in private with him but in public then I'm going to treat him the way that like I'm expected to like fuck that like yeah. that has been hard though because like I said like perfectionist like I being seen as perfect that was that was like my identity it was like everybody thinks I'm perfect it's great and that's been really yeah fun. again it goes full circle because the more that you can integrate that part of you that that wants to be that wants to please people right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then and you can just generate authentic self-esteem and not give a fuck what they say and prioritize your value system yeah. and 
and also recognizing uh, that most people in our culture are unhealed, right? Yeah. And that and realizing that those people who are making particular potentially accusations or judgments that's um you know that's just like i think don mcgovery has called it black poison maybe i'm misremembering that term from the book the four agreements but just like this concept of this is the water that we keep moving through in the culture um and everyone's kind of passing these judgments left and right and just kind of holding compassion and realizing that that person is, is also seeking to be healed as well internally. So, Hey, uh, Ari, this has been really meaningful and I've, I've learned and grown already just in the past couple hours. And I really appreciate the conversation and, our connection so thanks again for for coming on yeah it is honestly it's been like the highlight of my i mean it's only tuesday but it's definitely the highlight of my week (laughs) um (laughs) also i just went to say something like uh, your ability to like recall who said something and like where you found that like that is astonishing because i'm like if somebody said this at some point something I read they said this thing and you just like remember who said it and where you found that and that like I'm like writing down book titles and things and I'm like oh yeah I've been meaning to read that like that's amazing so appreciate well I, I received that uh there I am receiving although I, I I think I messed that one up about the four agreements that's I mean, okay. it's like Nobody's black there. is it black poison somebody somebody is going to email me or not because yeah. they're not going to care um, I hope someone emails you just to please like, so email it's like, me. Hey, I can go just hey, go look the at the books right there behind me. Um, anyway, <laughs> we digress. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Ari, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye, guys.